Welcome to the 3 and D podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Glad to join you uh, uh, another week um, uh, for, for some, some Grizzlies talk. Um, exciting times uh, with the Grizzlies. Um, obviously, with the uh, NBA Summer League, we'll hit on Brandon Clark and the, and the Grizzlies Summer League team here in just a few moments. But regular co-host Justin Lewis, um, obviously with his summer uh, commitments with his job, he, he will be joining us again soon as we get closer to basketball season. But I am very happy to to uh, um, bring on a good friend of mine. Uh, he he His knowledge basis lends itself more towards um, dynasty football, fantasy football, as he writes for several sites, Dynasty Nerds and Reserves.com. But he's a good friend of the show and an avid basketball fan. John Glosser joins us tonight. John, how are you doing tonight, sir? Pretty good. Uh, excited to finally get the invite and uh, talk some basketball with you. Yep, John in general is is probably I, I hate to hate to compliment him, um, but all joking aside, uh, John is probably one of the more knowledgeable sports fans overall that I know, and so I definitely have been looking forward to a chance to get to talk with him, and uh, it's a great time to talk with him, and um, you can follow John on Twitter at Glosser13. Like I say, if you are any type of fantasy football fan at all, he's one of the brighter minds out there. He writes again for Dynasty Nerds and Injured Reserves. But we're going to focus on basketball tonight. And, you know, John, you are a Lakers fan, obviously. And we're just going to get right into it. Um, You know, we'll talk about the Grizzlies here in just a second. But you're, you're a Lakers fan. And what I want to start out with is, is that you being a fan of the Lakers, me being a fan of the Grizzlies, we come from two different perspectives here. Obviously, the Lakers have had one of the more storied off-seasons with the acquisition of Anthony Davis. The Grizzlies themselves have had such a done a great job of building up, you know, both with current players and assets building up their future. From both perspectives, but in completely different ways, we've had successful off-seasons. What is your feeling about the Lakers' off-season and, and and compared to how other teams in the West have built their rosters? How confident are you and excited are you for what the Lakers have done? This is uh, one of the more exciting uh, Lakers off-seasons in quite some time. We've kind of struggled over the years. I mean, I've got to see them win a couple championships in my lifetime, so I can't really complain too much. Uh, the LeBron experiment last year really um, wasn't what everyone wanted it to be. But, I mean, really exciting off-season I mean, overall in the NBA, but for the Lakers especially, I feel like they've put together a very well-rounded, talented roster, and you really don't see that in this era of the NBA anymore. It's kind of about the big three or the, you know, at least as of recently, the big two, um, and then just try to put a couple interior pieces around them. But a uh, very exciting offseason for the Lakers. They got a lot of uh, players that I feel like could actually help them win a lot more games versus star power just trying to sell tickets. And so, John, when we look across the NBA, you know, just the craziest offseason I think that I've seen in my lifetime. But it's amazing now. It's almost like football. You could see a team's fortunes now completely change within a two-year period. Um, a trend that we've started seeing in the NBA over the past few years has been a team going for it all by trading for a guy who has one year left on his contract without really knowing, you know, whether he'll stay. Um, obviously, the Lakers are doing that with Anthony Davis. Um, we, we, we've seen that with Jimmy Butler. 
But the two big names that we've seen over the past few years are when the um, Thunder were able to trade for Paul George from the Pacers, not knowing whether he'd stay there or go to L.A. He obviously wound up staying. And then the Raptors trading for Kawhi Leonard. Well, it worked out for Kawhi and the tra- and the Raptors. They won the championship. The Thunder got to keep George for two years. Well, now both of those franchises may be looking rebuilds in this after being, you know, at the top of their conferences, you know, just over the past six months. Is there too much movement? Is there too much focus on the players or do players have too much power when it comes to facilitating these moves to where it can completely change the fortunes of the franchise in a quick turnaround? Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think um, I read something, uh, I don't want to misquote it, but it was around somewhere around 40% of starting NBA players last year were free agents this year. So, I mean, it's just, it's wild. I know that LeBron was a big catalyst for this, you know, one-year max deal, two-year max deal type of contract that guys are signing. And for star players, it makes sense because, you know, we had this time in the 80s and 90s where you would see a guy kind of maybe stuck on a team forever and, you know, maybe a small market team, they wouldn't have the chance to really compete for a championship. So I see both sides of it. I see the side where it's like it's hard to be a fan of a player when he's, you know, playing for five to six different franchises in his 10, 10 to 15-year career. But I also get the other part of, like, it's very exciting. You know what I mean? Like, this year coming up in the NBA, it's like, this is the first time in so long that you're going to be like, who's going to be there? You know I mean? We we maybe know, like, a, a top, you know, three teams in each conference that we think, like, well, it wouldn't surprise me if they were there. But you couldn't say, as in years past, like, oh, it's going to be Warriors and Cavs again, or it's going to be, you know, Lakers and Celtics again, or, you know, whatever it may be. So it, it is, it's very exciting. I, I do see both sides of it. I think we're trying to, you know, not to take it to the NFL, but you got the NFL where the players don't have enough power, and then you got basketball where the players might have a little too much power. So we're trying to kind of meet in the middle as, like, sports fans, but there'll always be something to complain about. But right now, I mean, it's it's really exciting because it's the unknown, whereas a lot of kind of casual NBA fans won't tune in because I don't want to see Steph Curry shoot 10, you know, 10 three-pointers a game and make all of them and, you know, the Warriors blow somebody out by 35. But, you know, now it's kind of that point where we're getting back to the two-man, you know, Shaq and Kobe type days where it's, hey, any two could beat any two on any given night. So it is, uh, it's exciting when those players move that way versus maybe one team kind of going to the finals four or five years, you know, winning four or five times, something like that. And it's amazing that the the that what what has caused all this what what the, probably it's not looked at as being a significant cause, but I think that it is. You hit the nail on the head. You know, we had um, four straight Cavs Warriors finals, and then of course the the Warriors versus the Raptors. But it was two injuries. It was the seed. It was the one that's going to knock Kevin Durant out for this year. The one that's going to knock uh, Clay Thompson out for the majority of the year as well to where teams now see an open opportunity, uh, to where they really want to focus on trying to make it to the finals this year. And out West, you have six or seven combos of players that can make a lot of sense. When you look at the Warriors, do you feel as if it may make sense for them to kind of take a step back, regroup, try to get assets where they can? And I don't really want to say sit this season out, 
but it seems like that that may make sense for them long term if they want to stay a true contender um, into the next decade. Yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting take. I mean, I don't see it happening because you got, you know, a couple probably Hall of Fame players there, um, and you know, with Draymond being on his the last year of his deal, he's almost certainly gone. So I don't see the. You know, you're talking to a, about a team that's been to the almost the very last game of the NBA season for five straight seasons. So, I mean, it's hard to turn off that killer instinct. I mean, who knows? I mean, with Clay being out so long, that that team is not very good on paper. I mean, even the D'Angelo Russell trade was was a little shocking, but it was. Uh, I mean, the Warriors are going to do what the Warriors are going to do. Steve Kerr's a great coach. They're gonna they're gonna find a way to contend. They're not gonna be the number one seed I don't think I don't think they have any plans to be <laughs> but they're gonna you know when you have Steph Curry and Draymond and those guys are gonna come after it every night it would probably be smart in your thinking is we've seen it happen to so many great players you know uh, Kobe is a, a, a perfect example as is LeBron lately is when you play so much basketball regular all those regular season games you're playing essentially half of another season in the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, a lot of these guys are playing Olympics or, uh, you know, Team USA, whatever it may be. Uh, you're getting a couple months off in the summer, and then it's right back to the grind. So um, it, it would make sense with how much basketball those guys have played and the injuries that they've dealt with. But I just – I don't see it happening. I think that <laughs> uh, competitive nature will take over, and they'll be right in the mix of things come uh, uh, playoff time. And the NBA itself, I think that what's added to the excitement is that you've just, it's become so polarizing. Um, you are now more than ever seeing a, a, a um, identity around the league. You've got the super teams forming in the big cities, LA, Brooklyn, Houston. You've got those teams that to form those super teams, they've punted the future basically. And we're talking, you know, several years into the future to be able to have their opportunity now. Whereas smaller teams, small market teams like Memphis and like Oklahoma City, teams that typically didn't have that big a success at, at getting free agents, they weren't considered destination places, they've gone all in on their rebuilds, really building for the future. It seems like, John, that teams are becoming smarter in that, you know, yeah, it's great that you may be punting the future um, to, to compete now, and, but if you're going to do that, go all in, or if you're going to rebuild, go all in on that philosophy. Do you feel that plays a part in this offseason, that teams are becoming more committed to one option or the other instead of just trying to play the middle ground? Yeah, uh, it kind of goes back to your point before um, about like how how all these players are changing teams and this and that. I mean, think about for all those years with Philly where, you know, Adam Silver had to really step in and tell them like, Hey, like you're not selling tickets because you're trying to get the next superstar player. And every single lottery draft doesn't have a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant. Like it just doesn't happen that way. So you had these teams in the past that were constantly punting. And even if you had a really good player, it was like, you know, he's not enough to get us over the edge. So maybe before his contract runs out, let's trade him for more picks and hopefully that next generational player comes around. Whereas now in the NBA, I think with these players kind of moving around so much, 
your small market teams still suffer. Your Memphises and Oklahoma Cities are still going to suffer because they're going to have to hit home runs in these drafts, you know, late in these drafts, kind of like the Warriors did, to be a relevant franchise for a long time, a contender, because with all these players changing teams and stuff, the Celtics and the Lakers and Philly and, like, the big market teams that teams want to see or fans want to see in the finals, like, those are the the teams, the cities that are getting these high market players. So it is nice to see, like, a, a breath of fresh air to see, like, a team like Memphis kind of rebuild and then start hitting on these picks and then, like, letting these young guys play together and grow together and then become a dangerous, you know, duo or triple threat kind of like the Warriors had where, you know, you're hitting on three potential Hall of Fame players within two drafts, you know, like things like that are what makes um, a struggling team a lot better really fast. So I think we seeing that now more kind of helps grow the fan base too, because there's a lot of people that aren't watching Memphis Grizzlies basketball. And, you know, I'm one of them, you know, they're not on TV that much, but when you see them win a summer league championship and then see, kind of not do it without someone who's perceived to be their best player is <laughs> it's going to be like now for me, I'm like, Hey, I'm really excited to watch them, you know, play regular season basketball. How are they going to, how are they going to match up against the Lakers and the Clippers in Houston? So it's like, it's interesting to see. And it's, it is really good for the NBA as I see both sides of it. I'm on the side of like, I like how these teams are, you know, punting for the future, but also, putting a competitive basketball team on the court every night, because at the end of the day, we want to watch good basketball. And you're not going to get that if you kind of in the past where we had like teams like Philly, like, you know, not starting their lottery picks some nights and, you know, just putting together, trading any kind of assets that they had. So it's a, it's a really good time, time to be an NBA fan. And see, that's the thing, though, that that I'm interested to get your take on is that, you know, the thing about hitting with a player on the draft, like when we when we picked Jaron Jackson Jr. and now John Morant and, and things such as that, there's legitimate, you know, logic there to where these guys could be around for the better part of a decade because of, you know, the, the, the extra incentive that comes with their first contract if they're with the team that drafted them. But on the Lakers end, on the Clippers end, uh, especially those two, y'all have have traded, you know, a big part of your future. I mean, you know, when it comes to the next decade, you basically traded, you know, nearly all of your avenues to talent. But the thing is, is that, you know, it would make sense if you were acquiring an Anthony Davis or a George or a Leonard, you know, for, for five to seven years. You're not guaranteed that. You don't know if they're going to stay that long again with how quickly things can move around in the NBA now, obviously. Is there a concern, John? Is there a concern with the fact that once LeBron leaves, Anthony Davis may find it to where he wants to go elsewhere, and and if you know after three years he's gone, now the Lakers are basically left with you know very little to work with. Is there concern with that in terms of you know looking over the next few years with the Lakers? Absolutely, because the Lakers were kind of in that situation that Memphis was in, you know, and they had uh, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, so uh, Josh Hart, who was actually a a really good contributor for them. I mean, I don't find him to be an amazing NBA player by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a very good player. So um, you, you kind of now 
trade all of them because for for like lack of better terms, like LeBron said so. <laughs> so it's like you then keep Kuzma out of that trio for of four of them that you all drafted, and it's like now you look at a team like New Orleans who gives up you know one of the best players in the NBA, but gets an amazing package and then gets the first pick in the draft, which turns into Deion Williamson. So you look at a team like that and you're like, oh man, like. That's what you want if you're going to trade a big player. But then you, you know, as a Lakers fan, you're sitting here looking that it's conceivable that within the next two years, LeBron and Anthony Davis could not be Lakers and you could have zero championships to show for it. So it's kind of going all in, you know, and is one championship in, you know, 2019 or 2020 going to be enough to hold over your fan base knowing all the pieces you gave up? all you know all of the moves you made the coaches you fired maybe the front office changes that you've made like all of that so there is genuine concern because anthony davis isn't uh you know always healthy you know lebron missed the most games he's ever missed in his career last year um you have demarcus cousins who you know has been hurt pretty much the last two years and hasn't looked like himself in a long time you have rajon rondo who's never really been much more than uh i mean he's a great player on the floor but he's not going to win a championship for you you know on his own shoulders so if some you know a lot of these guys the lakers did it last year they signed a lot of one and two year deals so they can get out from a lot of these guys so then they could clear space for the big names so that kind of goes to the small market versus big market is the lakers feel that no matter what happens who leaves whatever they'll always be in the running to then get one of these huge stars the the next year or the year after and you know we've spoke about it before about how wild the nba trades are you know people are trading cash for you know picks who are equivalent of like a sixth grader right now playing basketball so uh nba trades are hard to judge but yeah there's legitimate concern for me as a lakers fan so um you just never know what's going to happen especially with the the players moving so much, you know what I mean? It's it's easy that LeBron gets hurt and says, you know, this is it. And Anthony Davis tries to carry the team. And you're basically looking at a team that's similar to the team he left in New Orleans if LeBron's not on the floor with him every night. And I don't think he wants to play that basketball anymore. He wants to be – he's looking to be Robin for Batman. So, I mean, we'll see. Shout out to Batman. LeBron will never be Batman. Anywho, um, <laughs> the one thing, though, that I will say is, is that, you know, all these big moves that are occurring, they, 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 they impact every team in the league. And the Grizzlies were able to take advantage of the Warriors moves when they were able to trade for Andre Iguodala, plus get a first round pick to be able to take on his contract. Well, now... Iguodala seems to be one of the more desired players for these super teams to add to their rosters. We've heard the Rockets, we've heard the Lakers, we've heard the Clippers all have interest. John, you're you're a Lakers fan, and there has been several things across social media where the Lakers, where different Lakers fans are all like, oh, the Grizzlies should just do right by Iggy. They should buy him out. Now, as a Grizzlies fan, a lot of them uh, are, are very much like, well, no, you know, screw that. You know, when it comes to Iggy, he's our asset. We need to sit here and get everything that we can for him. I agree with that to an extent. The thing is, though, is that Iggy is one of the more well-respected players around the league. Don't don't believe all that talk about, you know, his lack of production over the past few years. 
doesn't make him really doesn't make his opinion worth you know what the Grizzlies should do with him. It definitely does. John, when you look at the Grizzlies situation for, with Iguodala, I, I believe that you truly do feel that you know it makes sense for them to try to get you know extra assets for him. But do you think there is a law of diminishing returns to where if they try too hard or if they become too stingy, it could have a negative repercussion where it could establish you know a potential bad reputation. You know they're they're keeping a guy who's well respected around the league in a league that's really controlled by the players. They're keeping a guy kind of against his will, and it could have negative repercussions on the franchise. Yeah, so in Memphis's case, it, it makes a lot of sense to roster him for championship experience. Um, they have a lot of young players, particularly, you know, Jaron Jackson could learn so much from a guy like Iguodala. So, um, but at the same time, uh, Jay Crowder is a guy, I mean, not with championship experience, but he's kind of a glue guy, uh, been around a few locker rooms that he's always in the playoffs. You bring up a good yeah. point. He's always at the playoffs. So, um, Iguodala, I see both sides of it. You know, at first I thought for sure it was a trade for Memphis to get an extra pick. Um, they had the cap space. And then, you know, the more we kind of discussed it um, through a couple of different social media outlets was like, I understand now. It's like, why are you going to pay? I believe his contract was around $17 million. Like, why are you going to pay $17 million for a – a 2024 first or 22nd first, whatever it may have been. Um, I just think ultimately, like you kind of pointed out, it becomes that it is a player's league. So if Iguodala is the point of, hey, I'm 35, 36 years old, I would like another run at a championship. You know, I don't think any Memphis Grizzlies, rational Memphis Grizzlies fan, thinks that they're winning the championship this year. So I think if it comes down to that point, you don't want to see a guy that you're paying $17 million to sit at the end of your bench because he's disgruntled because maybe he wants a buyout, but you want a first-round pick for him, which was the report. So um, also at the same time, this isn't like most other sports leagues. <laughs> uh, a lot of NBA firsts are equivalent to garbage. You know what I mean? It might be a, a guy from overseas that doesn't see the NBA for three to four years. So um, I could see someone trading for him. I think ultimately comes down to the player. Iguodala has always been super classy, never been a problem in any locker room he's ever been in. A great, great teammate, glue guy, you know, tons of experience. So I don't see him ever being disgruntled. I mean, maybe if Memphis starts off so bad, they do just say, hey, screw it, we'll buy him out if we don't have any offers on the table. But I think the Grizzlies are going to play good basketball this year. They're going to be a decent team. So I think you're ultimately, if Iguodala is going to join another team, I think it will be via trade as of now. But I was I was completely on the other side of the fence a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, it's it's tough in the NBA because you you do see these buyouts more often than not, and to some really good players that happen to you know maybe not play for a team for a full season and maybe try to get back in the NBA the following year. It's a uh, it's a very tough situation. But uh, Iguodala, I think, is still worth something. I don't – I mean, he's washed for all <laughs> – you know what I mean? Like, he's nowhere near the player he was. But he still is a – you know, you give him five to ten shots a game and he can come in, especially in the fourth quarter, in defense alone and leadership. Like, this guy's going to give you everything he's got as long as he's content in his situation. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real interesting situation. 
And so, John, we'll get the outside perspective from you about the Grizzlies. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, it seems like you're being a, pretty much an ass to the franchise, um, you know, saying that, you know, we don't have championship aspirations and things such as that. You know, how dare you? I'm just kidding. Um, the, the thing that I will ask, though, is is that, you know, you like you said, you you don't follow Memphis. You you, you are a Lakers fan. Obviously, also, you, you, you live, you know, in the Northeast. But the thing is, is that, you know, when we were in the grit and grind era, the Grizzlies were always viewed as that team that never had the highest ceiling, but that no one ever wanted to play. And, and it was always interesting. It always made for good TV, I feel. But now, from an outsider's perspective, John, you may not know all that much about the talent that we have, but it feels like that the intrigue is there, that the Grizzlies could be one of the uh, more watchable teams, like one of the more exciting teams around the league. Do you share that opinion? Do you gain, do, do, do you have that urge to be like, hey, I, you know, I don't know a lot about these guys, but it seems like they could be a lot of fun to watch. Is that is that kind of the general feeling you get across you know, NBA fans that you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the West is, I mean, for the better part of the last decade has been a bloodbath, you know, like the Western conference playoffs have just been like pretty much must see TV um, this year, especially coming up. Um, I do like a lot of the young players I have. I just found out that both Jerry Stackhouse and Nick Van Axel are assistant coaches for Memphis, so um, well, 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 I don't. So, so, so they were, they were. It, oh, it, they're it, gone. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's confusing. It's confusing because a lot of the different sites that you see, it still has Stackhouse and Nick Van Exel tied to the team. So Nick Van Exel um, is um, uh, he? He now. It, 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 he was a previous coach under Bickerstaff. He's gone his own way, and so Stackhouse is now the assistant coach that's at Vanderbilt. But for a fan, for a guy who doesn't keep up with the Grizzlies that much, I completely understand it in terms of the fact that we don't really have assistant coaches in place yet. So, so no, I, I agree with where you're coming from. But go, go ahead with your perspective of the Grizzlies. So I, I like the overall depth of them. Um, I was a John Moran, I wanted to go so much farther in the tournament. He seems like one of like the most likable, you know, young talents in the game. A great, great basketball player. Um, and uh, what Jaron Jackson did last year, and the little bit I did see of Memphis is just like I'm. I mean, having a couple of ties, of course, up to yourself and Zach Ponder as well is. You guys are diehard like Memphis fans. You do great work uh, covering the Grizzlies. Um, it's just so exciting to see because you guys had that grit and grind era where it was, you know, Zebo and Mark and, you know, Mike Conley. And, it, and it's hard to watch those kind of heroes, if you will, leave. You know what I mean? But in that same time frame that they're leaving, it's like it's awesome to get replacements right away and guys to, like, root for and be excited about. Um, the Grizzlies do have a lot of, like, those leadership players. Um, Dylan Brooks was a guy I really liked in college. Um, I don't know how much he actually played last year. Uh, Brandon Clark, obviously, this this summer league exhibition that he's put on is just like, I don't get how you couldn't be over the moon excited. <laughs> so it's they're going to be a very fun team to watch. They're, there's no pushovers in the West, I don't think, anymore besides – you know, maybe Oklahoma City now. But 
I think that they're a team that's going to compete every night. Uh, I think that they're going to be exciting to watch. And hopefully it's hard when you're out of market like me um, without like a league pass and having the time to watch those is for the most part, I'm, I'm either watching highlights or they have to be on a, a Friday night uh, ESPN or, you know, maybe a TNT on a Thursday for me to catch much live Grizzlies basketball. So as a, as an outsider looking in, like I would be very exciting because very excited because I feel like people are, assuming it's a rebuild but like rebuilds don't really have this many like exciting young players to watch at once so i mean i think the only thing comparable is like the kings a couple years back when they had that really good draft where i think they got um three or four college players that were kind of tournament uh really good tournament players it was like justin jackson uh kid from Kansas, the point guard from Kansas. Uh, they also had uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, like a couple guys, but the Kings have just hated to win basketball games since, you know, the early 2000s. So <laughs> that kind of faltered. But uh, this this will be exciting because I don't think anyone in, in Memphis expects to tank. You know what I mean? Like they're trying, we're, they're trying to win games. So, I mean, draft picks and stuff, you have more knowledge on that exactly of, what picks they have, you know, whether they can actually get the first pick in the draft or not. So I don't think the team's anywhere near bad enough to be that low as like, uh, you know, to be able to select another John Morant next year. But um, they're they're an exciting team and, and they have depth as well. So it'll be exciting. The only player that is on the Grizzlies that I just hate is Grayson Allen. And this goes back to the Duke Syracuse stuff. So it has nothing to do with the Grizzlies. And, and that is, you know, an interesting take that that, that as as we're um, kind of wrapping up this edition of the Three and D podcast with a uh, with a friend of the show, John Glosser. Um, I, I will get your take on on Grayson Allen. Um, you know, obviously, um, y- you do have a history uh, uh, with him. Um, you know, you are a diehard Syracuse fan. Arguably, you're even more of a college basketball fan than you are an NBA fan. But you saw firsthand. Um, he, basically the, the 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 bad side of Allen and we recently saw that again you know especially with me being a Tennessee fan you know the how he went after Grant Williams in a summer league game getting ejected you know it was it just was a it, it seemed like he was in college again it's very concerning to see um what are your thoughts on Grayson Allen I mean me personally uh he has not displayed the he has not displayed enough talent in the NBA for you just to sw- wipe that under the rug, you know, that, that is, I feel like it's very concerning his outbursts that he has and his talent is certainly not on a level yet to where it, it overcomes that. How concerned should Grizzlies fans be about Allen's history? And, and do you think he'll ever get to the point to where his talent, you know, is at a level to where you just deal with the outbursts? I, uh, I really don't like Grayson Allen. I mean, <laughs> the Duke stuff is, is bad, but, you know, like the tripping and all that stuff, whether it was with Duke or anyone else, I mean, it just it emphasized it and made it look a lot worse being at Duke, you know, given the amount of fans that don't like Duke anyway because they're always at the top. But Allen, I just don't – I didn't understand, the like, the draft pick and all that kind of stuff was just that – I feel like Allen's a, a liability on defense. You know, I mean, he he moves <laughs> he moves his feet a little bit better than 
you know, some guys who are still <laughs> playing, but Allen is very like, I think to, to be a consistent pro and to stay on a team, you know, and like you said, like dealing with a lot of that temper tantrum stuff is hard, but he's, he's going to have to keep up shooting over 35% from three to be able to see the floor. Uh, you know, last year in Utah, I, I think he played less than 11 minutes a game. Um, I would, I don't know that Memphis is going to ask him to do much more than that, but he's not a shot creator. Um, he's not a, you know, he's not a great, passer I mean he's a team guy no doubt about it I mean coming from playing for coach K but his value is going to be a spot-up shooter I don't know a ton about the Grizzlies as far as uh offensive philosophy and this and that you know a lot of you know Grayson Allen seems like a guy that might be okay playing with someone like LeBron or Russell Westbrook where or James Harden where you can be a a driving kick guy and he's going to be wide open but uh at the end of the day, I don't think he offers enough as an NBA player to really have hopes as a Grizzly fan. I think you're you're looking for a guy who can contribute here and there, but he's not going to play anywhere near enough minutes for you to consider him a, a decent player, a franchise changer. So I think it's decent to bring him in. You know, you never know what you're going to get out of him. You know, a change of scenery sometimes helps a lot of players. But, I mean, a spot-up shooter is kind of where I think he needs to excel. But he's going to need to shoot close to 40% to really be making a difference where he can go four for four in a game and give you, you know, 12 points in 10 minutes. And you're like, man, those were huge minutes. So I I don't – I think the temper tantrum stuff, I'm I'm a little with you. I think you're on that side of it where it's just like it's not – he doesn't do enough on the court for me to be able to look past that and be like, Grayson Allen falls into that range of, he's one of those guys, if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you hate him. So Yeah, and I agree with you completely. I think last year he was kind of like Grant Williams and Brandon Clark were this year. They're more finished products that could be good value in the early 20s of drafts, but Clark has athleticism. Um, Williams has off the off the charts IQ uh, to maximize his skill set. Grayson Allen just doesn't have one identifiable asset as a skill. Like the Grizzlies want him to potentially be an outside shooting threat. He didn't really display the consistency of that last year. I think he has that potential, but he's going to have to work hard for the to convince the Grizzlies to be able to pick up his team option after this year. I do think that there likely is going to be another incident or two where he's going to, you know, have a temper tantrum. Do do you deal with it? I don't think the Grizzlies are going to cut him um, at any point in time, but I, I just there are some people who feel that Grayson Allen has the potential to be a significant part of the Grizzlies' future. I don't see that yet. I hope that Taylor Jenkins can bring that out in him. But if the Grizzlies are expecting for him to take on a significant role, they first got to start with being able to get him mentally prepared to deal with the ups and downs of uh, of teams, you know, playing against him. Because there are going to be teams who are going to go after. Him. They're going to try to expose that part of his game where he does get rattled. And if he's not adding any value on the court and all he's really doing is just being a liability on defense and he winds up causing the momentum to shift to the other team's side through a temper tantrum once or twice this year, you know, it really doesn't bring a lot of confidence for him being a part of the Grizzlies future. Um, So John can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us. Um, For those who are listening 
plug yourself, give a little bit of an idea of where they might be able to find you and, you know, uh, your work that you do um, in the dynasty football community. Uh, at Gloucester 13 on Twitter. Uh, I'm been a writer for dynasty nerds for years now. Um, the head IDP guy for defense over at uh, dynasty nerds also have my own blog site, uh, injury reserves. Um, Sean has uh, written a column for us over there as well. I uh, can't thank them enough for that as well. Uh, those are the two sites. Um, just like to write, man, like to talk sports. Uh, recently got into podcasting because of Sean and uh, been able to guest on this. Being able to guest on this is a, a huge honor and talk basketball with you. Uh, we do it on a daily basis, you know, through chats and texts and tweets. But uh, being able to take some time and be able to sit down with you is is awesome and uh, look forward to doing it again in the future. Folks, I will tell you this again. The reason why I wanted John to come on the show again, besides his knowledge, he's just one of the better um, better guys to just enjoy talking sports with that I've come across um, in, in you know my adult life. So, know the dream come true that comes you know through me being able to write now and do podcasting. He's someone who has enjoyed the same thing. So, if you're out there wanting to get into it you will eventually be able to expand, you know, your uh, your audience and you'll meet guys like me and John have met each other and it leads to good friendships. I'll be honest, I've never met John before, but it's just every day I get to talk sports with him and it, and it makes a big difference. It, it really is nice to be able to talk with someone who has as much of a passion for sports as I do. John, we can't thank you enough. Do stick around for just a second after we're done here. Uh, but guys, uh, again, for John Glosser, my name is Sean Coleman. Regular co-host Justin Lewis will be back here soon. We can't thank you enough for joining us here on another edition of the 3 d Podcast.